Hello. This is episode two of M&S Politics. Once again, I am Steven, coming alongside uh, Marlon here. Don't, don't, don't uh, put yeah. it that way. We're going to get clipped on that. <laughs> the this word is, is coming. That's I a real word. It sounds like this is a Bukaki show. That's, that's not what it's about. I know, it's about politics. But That's why it's MS politics. Yeah, well, we're going to bukkake our politics all over you. Enjoy that. Well, I guess there's that image. Best not bring your kids! <laughs> um, that was that was inappropriate, but I mean, here I am, so that's I mean, we can I always, We can always potentially cut that out. We, yeah. we probably won't, but no. it, it could be. Yeah, it's, well. it's not going to be. No. Uh, all right, so shall we jump right on in? Yeah, sure. Um, ironically enough, we're going to talk about some transgender news. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So we have several articles, several articles here. One from CNN. Uh, three Connecticut high school girls are suing over a policy that allows trans athletes to compete in girls' sports by Christina Maxoris. Um, we have one from Christian Post here. Uh, that is, 14 parents sue school district for affirming kids' transgender identity without consent. Um, always to axe female symbol from sanitary products packages and nod to trans users from NBC News. Uh, and we have here uh, female inmate claims she was raped by a transgender inmate who was placed in Illinois women's prison. You you want to take uh, this at all, or <laughs> well, we, we why don't we start at the top there with uh, the the three Connecticut girls? So what I understand is that they're racing against two. Is it transgender girls? Is that how we identify them? Because they were boys who are going to become women. So they're transgender girls, or are they transgender men? I like, think that... I think that the the way that they think of it is that you are transing into whatever you want to be. So these okay. would be boys. So becoming women, okay, you know, so in their minds. So then they'd be called transgender girls. Right. Okay, so these three girls are racing against transgender girls, and the transgender girls have won, like, the last 15, like, state competitions, uh, first and second place only, and these girls are saying that because they're winning so much, these girls aren't allowed to win, and so their chances of going to college are down, or getting scholarships are down, all because they can't compete physicality yeah i mean it's a slam dunk case in a sane society but we'll see um it is connecticut too uh so i don't know what the we'll see i said sane and that yeah. means that they don't have a good a shot here really um let's see here uh it looks like the high school girls represented by their mothers have filed a lawsuit over a policy which allows transgender athletes to participate in sports based upon their gender identity the way I understand that is that the boys here, who are becoming girls as they call themselves, don't actually have to have even taken the hormones. Like they don't even have to have become started the the you know uh, uh, gender affirming procedures yet. So theoretically, boys who just say, "Yeah, I'm a girl because I feel like I'm a girl," could go into it. And just simply do their thing as a. So, and that kind of, um, I mean, it, boys and girls physically start to change, you know, through puberty and things like that. And boys typically can build more muscle mass and, and things like that. And so they're saying that because of that, because they're not on these hormones, 
they have this increased strength. Well, I want to point out here, too, it says in a statement earlier this week, the American Civil Liberties Union said it would seek to join the lawsuit to defend the interest of transgender student athletes. So uh, that means ACLU is utterly corrupt here. Well, I mean, it, it, it just shows what side they're on. We know what side that they've always been on. Uh, they typically take the farthest left stance that they can. In this case, it's transgendered over women. And the, the weird thing about that is they talk about, you know, this war on women and things like that. And yet now we're allowing boys to define themselves as women who then go on to beat women in these competitions. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, okay, I just kind of, this is one of those things I would ask feminists. I mean, I would if it weren't for the fact that most feminists I've known would start just going re and, and like, then try to throw something at me. And I'd be like, do you like where your movement went? Because you went from women's rights, regardless of what I might think of feminism in general, you went from women's rights to you're now going to defend the right of, of some men to beat women as long as those men say that they are also women. Well, um, and that goes on to, like, uh, the female inmate, you know. Uh, she's alleging she was uh, raped in prison by a transgender inmate. And so the question is, is are we allowing these people to be put together like this where that can potentially happen? If there's no standard... What's to say that I don't get locked up and because I don't want to be in a men's prison because I would end up as somebody's biatch. Uh, I don't go, well, I'm a lady now to end up in the women's prison. Well, I still might end up as somebody's bitch, but it might be a little bit more enjoyable. <laughs> Here's the thing, right? Like, I look at that. I look at also the look. Okay, so this kind of leads to the other ones, right? Fourteen parents sue school district for affirming kids' transgender identity without consent, and the the basically cucking, and that's what it is, um, always did, where they say that they're going to axe a female symbol for trans users. I'm like, how are you going to use that? How are you going to use a product? You got a dick. Actually, how well, are you going to use it for like? A, can I cut no, you? No, no, no. See, here's here's where this comes in. This goes the other way. So a woman who's transitioning into being a man might identify as a man, but still have a vagina, and still bleed from said vagina. Oh, but the but the little, like, cross with a circle on top might offend their tender sensibilities. Yes, because they no longer are women, even though they have all the women bits. Okay. And even the same internal mechanisms. Okay. okay, okay. So, I mean, I don't understand how a little symbol, which you used to even potentially identify with, which is a product specifically designed for women that you may be using. I mean, potentially you could put on a pad if you really, really wanted to. It has no effect, but why not? You know, maybe it makes you feel sassy. Okay, so here's the deal, right, with all of this. And this is like the greater thing. Okay, one of my favorite stories from childhood was The Emperor Has No Clothes. Okay, I loved that story. And the reason why I love that story is because it, it showed this idea. Okay, if you've never read the story or don't know about it, which I find weird, but okay. Um, <clears throat> okay, so there was a guy, he comes to the emperor of some faraway land, and he says, hey, I have this amazing 
uh, thread, amazing material, and it can only be seen by people that are that are smart and cultured. So he starts playing around as if this really works, as if he's really sewing it together, and he makes this supposed garment to put on the emperor, right? And, the, and he said, you can only feel it, you can only see it, it only exists if you are, you know, if you're smart, if you're cultured. So what happens is, is everybody in the society sees the emperor in these new clothes when he decides to go through the streets. Except, you know, there were never any clothes. This guy just got swindled. And he'd never wanted to, to, to be called on it. And nobody in the society wants to tell the emperor that he is got swindled. And what ends up happening is there's a little boy in the crowd who doesn't know. He's just a little boy. And he sees the obvious. And he says, the emperor has no clothes. And that's the thing to me about this transgender thing, right? People who are transgender, they have a mental problem. And we can feel bad for them. We can try to look at trying to help them. We can do a variety of things. But this whole thing, this is a flex. This always, uh, this always thing, they're flexing like they're in a muscle competition, which is ironic given we're talking about athletics. The whole thing of, of the school district affirming kids' transgender identity and then having to be sued about it. What it really boils down to is a group of people saying, hey, we're going to create this thing and you're going to have to comply with it. And if you don't, you're a bad person. So whenever somebody gets up there and they say, yeah, this is nuts, we're not doing this. Well, they're, they're the little boy who's looking at that naked emperor saying the dude's buck naked. So do you think do you think the whole trans movement has anything to do with the Wan women or the Wan boys or any of that kind of stuff? Or do you think those tie in together or is it just are they separate but they still kind of impact each other? I think that what's really going on is this comes down to the whole idea you see on the left of intersectionalism. Okay, and the idea of breaking families and breaking apart society itself. Okay, the, the truth of the matter is this. If you look at it, and this is an honor of a person who shall not be named, because they don't want to be named. Uh, but you know, like he calls them the dick choppers, right? He's like, yeah, I understand there's women who want to tra transition, but most of the times this guy wanting to transition into a girl. So I call them dick choppers. Okay, here's the thing about it, right? And he, he pointed out to me, let's say you had a species of animal that was trying to self-castrate itself. And then it was attempting to have the mannerisms of the other gender. Well, we would probably be like, what's going on with this animal species that's making this happen? And we'd be very concerned. But with humans, we're sort of like, eh, you know. I, the take on it that I have is that, look... At the end of the day, when you do this stuff, you're removing yourself from the gene pool. Yeah. So you have to ask why it's being encouraged. Why a set of behaviors which remove you from the gene pool are being encouraged. And I know that that sounds like somebody could be like, that's a wild conspiracy theory. I'm like, look, my evidence, I'm not even saying I know who's doing it or blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying why is it that a number of people are being encouraged in their removal from the gene pool. So you think it might partially be with uh, the whole idea of controlling population? I mean, I think that that's probably a, a big 
part of this. Why exactly, what the exact end goal of it is, I don't know. I do know that when you bring this up to people who have been conditioned to think it's normal, they won't even understand this issue. Like, they won't... I've attempted to do this with... um, I've attempted to do this with people that were much younger who've been getting, you know, ideologically, you know, accustomed to this idea. And they literally won't even understand the concept. Well, and statistically, if you look at the numbers, uh, kids that transition have higher rates of depression, have higher rates of suicide. Like, the idea of, of potentially pushing this on our kids or making it more normalized for our kids potentially can just damage them. And, and the idea that society is now starting to be more accepting of it is, is almost a scary thing because even though people are getting more accepting, those numbers aren't going down, those suicide rates and those depression rates and things like that. So, I mean, the, the concept I have is this, right? Like, I've known some people that were in my life. Me too, me too. And <laughs> me too. Uh, anyway, uh, sorry, it's the jokes make themselves. Um, no, I, the concept that I sort of work on with this is that it's more, we're thinking of it wrong. It's more of a sexual fetish. <clears throat> okay, so like men and women are different. One of the big things that women have going for them is uh, sexual desire, okay? Um, it's the whole... relatively old concept that, you know, a guy has to be hitting on something, like, you're just taking bar dynamics of yesteryear, right? You're a guy, you go into a bar, you want to get with a girl, you gotta have something going on. A woman can literally just be like, hey, you wanna fuck. And she's gonna find somebody, and probably gonna find more people and more easily. And I think that there are men who become upset with, basically they see this female sexual power, that exists and that is attractive to them they want that it becomes so like that's the thing i don't think that the i think that the actual transgenders themselves just have a weird sexual fetish that you know i mean let's say you want to play around with that in your personal life that's one thing but when you begin on a society-wide level to begin encouraging this you get into weird stuff like having girls uh, get beat up in MMA or boxing matches, of having girls, you know, having to compete against men, of, uh, of, of people who share this and, and poli- you know, politically are on that tip, you know, telling a corporation that it has to disrespect 99.5 or however many percent of its, of its customer base. And that's the thing. Like what happened with always, that's literally just disrespecting women. Mm-hmm. And it's also why you have the suppression of what are called TERFs, which are trans-exclusionary radical feminists, right? There's a reason why you have such a press back against them, because they're like, yeah, no, we're women, those are men, and blah, blah, blah. And so it becomes this fight within, you know, within that, that side of things. Mm-hmm. And you're left with the irony that arch-conservatives are on the same side as radical feminists, which I find hilarious, but... Well, and it makes sense, because both sides want to protect women. And neither side sees the other ones as women. So, kind of makes sense. So, 
I don't know. You wanna wanna <laughs> move on to yeah, let's, something let's more on. politically. Uh... Yeah. So uh, you did not watch the Democrat debate on uh, on Wednesday. I did not. You did it. I I did. Uh, and all I want to welcome. I yeah. I want to thank you for that. Really. <sighs> you get to watch the next one. That's all I'm saying. Shit. It's your turn. There's one this week. There's one this week, and then there's another <sighs> South Carolina, I think. All right. Ne- next week. Okay. I'll have to... It's, it's your turn. Tag, you it. Um, <laughs> so this was the first debate to have Bloomberg, okay. uh, which was interesting. Uh, he did not have a soapbox to stand on. Although, honestly, if he had carried one out to the stage, that would have kind of been a boss move. Like... <laughs> Who cares? You're a little shorter. Whatever. But the idea, if he actually brought it out there, that would have been hilarious. People honestly would have connected with it. Like, oh, this guy's getting after him. Um, a lot of pundits really say that the top winner was Donald Trump. Just because it showcased how bad they all were. Like, even left pundits, even, you know, the, the liberal side was going, man, this looked bad for us. Um, on a whole, I would have to say Bernie probably came out looking the best. He was the four, the the front runner. He was he was the top guy anyway. He didn't really get damaged that much during the debate. Um, no real harsh criticisms. Him and Bloomberg went back and forth a little bit. Um, Bloomberg mentioned, you know, you're a socialist with three houses, which I mean that's that's an important thing. You know, the idea of splitting it and you've got homeless people. How can you say you should have three houses? You know, and there's there's that thing back and forth. Plus, uh, he Bernie, when when hitting back at Bloomberg, mentioned that uh, he has more wealth than the bottom 125 million Americans. Which I mean, he's the what seventh richest person in the world. So I'm just gonna throw out right. Maybe you'll find a biblical analogy here, but. Um... It was as if that that right there is as if Bloomberg hit Bernie in the uh, in the ankle, and Bernie just like went upside Bloomberg's head because there is no comparison between you have three houses, socialist, and yeah, so like you literally have more money than than one hundred twenty five million people in America, yeah, than than almost half the country, yeah, um, yeah, which is which is just hilarious. But then the idea. And a lot of people didn't connect this, and I think Bloomberg would have actually done better if he had connected it. You have Bernie Sanders, who's a millionaire, but he hasn't ever held a job other than the public sector. He has literally become a millionaire only working for the government. And I think if he had been able to elaborate more on that, I think it would have, would have maybe helped his case a bit. Because, again, Bloomberg's saying, look, I made this money outside the, the public sector. I made it in the private sector. I understand that, but in all honesty, I think especially with this, going into policy is actually the better thing. But, okay, we have a clip, okay? This is, uh, this is the critical thing on Bloomberg actually was not the back and forth uh, there. It, it, was, it was between Warren and uh, Warren and Bloomberg, and we're about to we're about to play uh, what Warren had to say here. So I'm gonna throw that up. 
on his record. And what we need to know is exactly what's lurking out there. He has gotten some number of women, dozens, who knows, to sign non-disclosure agreements, both for sexual harassment and for gender discrimination in the workplace. So, Mr. Mayor, are you willing to release all of those women from those non-disclosure agreements so we can hear their side of the story? We have a very few non-disclosure agreements. Uh, how many Let is me that? finish. How many is that? None of them accuse me of doing anything other than maybe they didn't like the joke I told. So, so first off, he needs to understand that in the Me Too movement, in this environment, you're not allowed to make jokes about women, especially when you're their boss. And when those jokes typically are tended towards the physical attributes, we'll say. Okay, that seems like a good way to describe it. I know we haven't necessarily been the cleanest on this episode already. Uh, no, but, no. But that being said, you we've know, already brought Bukaki into this, so uh, and, and yeah. Dick Choppers. Yeah, Dick Choppers. So, but we're going to fun name like, for a person. But okay, I'm going to stop. Uh, my uh, name's Dick Chopper. Wow, that is a terrible porno name. Yeah, it really is. That's that's just awful. I don't even want to know how that would look. And Maybe if you did it like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Dick Chopper! My name is Dick... Get to the Dick Chopper! Um, that was terrible. So, no, I mean, we're trying to but, be serious. Gotta be serious. So anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, she made a great point. He's got these things in the past. He even had a book that was given to him of all the Bloombergisms. That was given to him by a lot of his co-workers that were all things that he had said that were racist or sexist or things like that. And he's just chuckling about it. Now, this was like 20 years ago. He hasn't gotten better. Like, he just... And, and that's just the way he thinks. And at least you can see, like, people how sometimes they progress and maybe they've gotten older and more mature. And, you know, I don't say things like I did 20 years ago. We're talking about him having an interview with a dude like six months ago and saying, hey, look at her ass. You know, you're being interviewed. Well, okay, so here's the thing, right? It's as you said, the important part is that he's running in the Democratic Party's nomination in the current year. Here's the thing, right? Like a lot of times I believe that, like, like for instance... I think a lot of this is policy. Like, I think a lot of these gotcha moments aren't incredibly important. The reason why I, reason why that clip, why we discussed even putting it up, is, okay, so part of, part of the win, ability of a Democrat to win the presidency, but far, far more important than that, to win the nomination is suburban women. Right, suburban, basically suburban white chicks, okay? Suburban white women, are they going, you know, they can be turned into a voting block. Mm -hmm. And the question is, if you hit them hard in this number, it's one thing if they have to make a choice between Trump and Bloomberg and they both make off color remarks about women. It's an entirely different thing when you're talking about in the nomination process, do you want this guy? who is talking about playing grab-ass all the time. Well, and Warren has continued since Wednesday to hit him on a daily basis. She even released a number that women who have signed these non-disclosure agreements can text 
and they will send them information on how to send the non-disclosure agreements to lawyers so they can find loopholes to get the information out. Well, that's kind of the greater theme here, right? That the greater theme was, hey, Bloomberg's here and he's new. Let's beat him up. <laughs> like, <laughs> you that's stole the words right out of my mouth. They did. Everybody at some point took a pot shot at a minimum at Bloomberg. Well, this, this, this quote that I saw earlier, okay, um, or that, uh, let's see here. Um, it was, okay, so like I have this one quote here, and this is from NBC News uh, article that they did, Who Won Democratic Debate Las Vegas. Um, Pete Buttigieg, and I think this is, this is I mean, it's, it's, it's good rhetoric. Um, it says, uh, you have one senator that wants to burn this party down, and the billionaire wants to buy this party out. And the truth is, as much as I like, kind of look at that as like bullshit, especially coming from Booty Gig, I still have to ask the question: Where's the lie? I, I'm not saying that Bernie Sanders wants to burn. I, I do think there's wrong. Booty Gig is trying to come at this under the idea that he's somehow moderate, when I don't believe that he is. But that's no. beside the point. No, he's he's definitely though tried to make it so that he's in that moderate lane. Like Biden, Biden has tried to ride that moderate lane, even though. When uh, he took uh, the nomination for the VP and then, you know, won under Obama, they won the presidency and vice presidency, he was considered the second most liberal congressman in history. That was Joe Biden literally a decade ago. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like, I look at Buttigieg and I'm like, well, you're not very moderate, but you're going to play that game. The thing is this. Bernie Sanders actually is representing the Democratic Party, or at least a significant fraction of it, in the current year. Yeah. He doesn't want to burn the party down. He just wants to represent a significant faction that needs to be listened to if you're honest with the Democrats. But I, but I, I look over on the other side, and the criticism of Bloomberg that he wants to buy the party out, you can argue on, on Bernie's and that, that comment about Bernie... But it's basically impossible to argue against the idea that, that Bloomberg well, wants to buy the party out. Well, and, and the whole idea of uh, uh, Senator Sanders wanting to burn the party down, you got to remember, he's an independent. He's never really ran very frequently as a Democrat. He's only recently been running as a Democrat when he's ran for president. Otherwise, he's, he's kept his independent thing because he doesn't really see himself as part of the... Democrats as a whole. We were he, wants, he wants to change the party more towards his beliefs. And, and so he wants to move the Democrats to the left as opposed to coming a little bit more centrist, which I don't necessarily think Democrats are centrist, but moving just slightly over to... No, because he's got these radical ideals that he's sticking with. And if you're that far left, you can't give to the right. Not, not an inch. Well, but the the question though that I ask is this: I mean, like I look at the I look at the trend line of the Democratic Party, but also of the country overall. I look at the Overton window, and I see a country that effectively has shifted. Like this is something you and me haven't talked about yet, because I mean it's podcast episode number two. But okay, conservatives overall tend to, to become Democrats twenty years ago. That is the tendency of conservative. And, you know, you have folks that are, are in various camps on that, but... Kind of like your JFK Democrats. 
Well, yeah. Well, like, okay, like, I, I see stuff, I see memes online, of course, you know, making fun of conservatives, and they'll be like a conservative in 2050 saying, well, yes, I mean, obviously I support mandatory abortion, and yes, I mean, of course, obviously I support, um, uh, you know, pedophilia and stuff, but you think about it, you think about where, you know, these might seem like hyperbole, but in all honesty, look at conservatives of today. Were they, the things that they're advocating for today appear very similar to things that, that, that a Democrat may have advocated for in the 90s. But that's beside, I mean, I look at that as kind of beside the point to the idea, or at least it's a, a comparison of the idea that I don't think that Sanders is incredibly radical in the view of the Democratic Party of current year. I think that he, back in 1990, was... It took this long for the Democratic Party to catch up to him. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, so, like, I think nowadays, I think, you know, he has a definite entrenched faction within the Democratic Party that he can that he can lead. Well, and he keeps getting younger voters, and younger voters keep wanting to go, obviously, more far to the left. Well, that's... Okay, so the thing I've noticed overall about the country is younger voters, there's just less moderates. You, when you find a conservative, they are reactionary. Yeah. When you find a... a, a guy on the left, they're just damn near a communist. If they don't call themselves that, they might be like, a democratic socialist. But you look <laughs> at their policies, they, you know, they're basically for for a system that is somewhere in between full-on communism and the socialist systems of the Nordic countries. Okay. It, there's like a, a you know sliding scale in between there with the, those, but yeah. So I've noticed uh, one question we haven't mentioned, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in the whole 2020 debate was Biden. Yeah, that's because he's irrelevant. <laughs> he was there. He was like a tree. Excuse me. Yeah, okay. yeah he, uh, I mean, he was technically alive on stage, I guess. Uh, so Weekend at Bernie's. Wait, wrong bird, no. We'll confuse people, though. Weekend at Biden's? Is that, is yeah. that what we're doing? Weekend at Biden's. No, I mean, I... He didn't really have any good shots on anybody. He's slipping in the polls. At this point, I'm even wondering what he's doing. He was the frontrunner. He was the guy. And now, he's just getting beat out by a... Oh, excuse me. Uh, who's a communist and a guy who is an oligarch who's just trying to buy the party. And I actually would agree with uh, Buttigieg on this one. He's trying to buy the party. And he's even stated that he wants to go to the contested convention because he thinks he can get enough votes there from the superdelegates to win it. And he's even talked about uh, Clinton being his VP, which she has said she doesn't want to be. But uh, Bloomberg, I don't know that that's the smartest move. Uh, there's the Clinton death list, and you will totally be on it if she's your VP. <laughs> Just saying, well, she might kill you. The question that I ask here, and I think it's important to ask, is... So, can Bloomberg... The problem Bloomberg has is not with the moderates, okay? The problem that Bloomberg has is ultimately with those people who are on the left who are Bernie bros, can he get them to even show up to the polls to vote for him? And there's this idea, we gotta beat Donald Trump! And I'm kind of like, 
Yeah, but how powerful is that? Okay, I know partisans who literally believe that Donald Trump is like running a concentration camp where he tortures Mexicans, right? Yeah, they'll vote for anybody who is against Donald Trump. But those are you have to align a group of people together. And you have to have them show up. Yeah. And when you have Mike Bloomberg sitting over here who well, he's Mike Bloomberg. Like, can you get, well, are you really going to, what's more, like, you look at the identity politics sections. Mm-hmm. Do you think Mike Bloomberg's going to have black people being like, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to oh, vote you, for you mean the guy Mr. Who, uh, Stop and Frisk. Remember, now, Stop and Frisk started under Giuliani, but Bloomberg increased it by, like, I think it was, like, six times, like 600%, because Giuliani did it on a very systematic method Whereas Bloomberg was just like, everybody, you get frisked. You get frisked. Everybody gets frisked. So I'm just going to tell you something, right? And this is a danger of going into the Democrats or the real racist thing, but it isn't that that's not true. It's just that it politically doesn't work. Okay. Um, Here's the thing, right? If you look at New York crime statistics, black men in New York uh, between the ages of like 15 and 30 basically, like, commit an inordinate number of crimes in New York. Bloomberg took this and basically said, yeah, well, we've got to make sure they don't have weapons. We've got to basically, like, create a kind of police state within a state for New York City. And is he going to say it that way? Are Democrats ever going to admit that that's the way that they're thinking about it when they propose what they propose? No, there's no way they are. And even if you could say, oh, yeah, well, they're racist against black people. Well, that doesn't mean they're not racist against other groups or they don't like other groups. But fundamentally, look, here's the thing. Bloomberg's, uh, uh, I mean, he's Jewish, of course, but he's a white guy. Like, in terms of how that's seen, he's seen as a white man. He's some white guy in New York who's afraid of black guys and thinks that they're going to rob him. And that's... that's where he's at. And I mean, the Democrats aren't supposed to say that. They aren't supposed to think that. We're not supposed to go that place. But that's exactly where he went. And it's a serious weakness for him in all of this that literally no other Democrat on stage has other than arguably Biden. And even then, that's kind of arguable. Yeah, his his things were like uh, like Biden's personal things. I don't remember him saying much about uh, black people or African Americans, whichever term you like best um except for uh calling obama an articulate black man which i mean is he not was really alive i mean it's just you know but not the, politically the way correct. He, yeah the way he said it was kind of <clears throat> iffy the only the last one on stage was klobuchar her and her and mayor pete went back and forth but she's really just a non-entity i don't know what what her goal is at this point. No, as I said, I've said before in for episode one, you know, I think she's just there to get on somebody's, uh, like, he's, she's there to get on, get on the staff. So, well, I, I would not necessarily want her on my staff. She can, she can find a job elsewhere. I don't want um, her on my staff either, but I'm married, so. <laughs> I'm playing, I've seen her before, she's not, not a very attractive woman. <laughs> um, now, Tulsi, on the other hand, triple thick milkshakes, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> right. so I'm a bad person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's, all right. let's move on from there. I, I got nothing after that. Yeah, well. You win. Yeah. Uh, I won with triple thick milkshakes. Yes. No, Um. 
Uh, okay, on along the lines of what we were discussing in Virginia, so that kind of boiled over because, or sorry, well, boiled over would not be the right term, I guess, uh, faded out would be the term. Um, the whole Virginia joining West Virginia, it's still active as a potential thing. The pressure is not as high as it was, but... Um, but that's because they actually were able to get the, the gun rights. They stopped that. Well, they right? stopped it for now, but they did get the red flag law, which I contend is designed to... That's really just designed to make it, it prohibitive for people to own guns yeah. or to talk about it or to campaign. Mm-hmm. Because then the moment anyone comes up to lead an organization, you just simply say, I'm worried about so-and-so. And then they go get take their guns. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Obviously, we can all tell politically what this is all about, but yeah. uh, that's that's looking at this here. Though uh, there's an article we have from CNN, uh, Greater Idaho rural conservatives in Oregon look to join Idaho, and I mean it's CNN schlocky BS, but uh, but the basic story is still there. I mean, yeah, I, or, the fact is that a lot of rural or- Oregonians or yes, yes. Uh, want to join Idaho because they are more conservative-leaning than, say, Portland. Well, there's a very critical thing that's said here by uh, Senator Herman uh, Bartscheiger. I don't know if that's... This is almost as bad as how I pronounce booty gig. Wow, like, we, I have no idea. We, you probably should have read that name before we started. Bart, yeah, I should have, <laughs> but... Bartscheiger! I don't know. It sounds like... It's a very knows. powerful German name. I like that. I... Eins, zwei, drei, no, I, I, <laughs> mach schnell to der, okay, I'm gonna stop yeah. now before I make fun of, at uh, any rate, though. Um, so. Anyway, he said, uh, Oregon is largely controlled <coughs> by one party that does not represent the entire state effectively, making the urban and rural divide striking, which that's happening in a lot of places. Well, he also says Democrats should be paying attention to how unhappy these Oregonians are with the current regime to seek secession from Oregon. I would welcome the idea to serve on the Greater Idaho Legislature. Here's the thing about it, right? And this is this is something that I've noticed across the country. Um, you will effectively be feeling yourself braying or 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 or. As I said, like last week, right? You can go to Kansas City, go into Kansas City, and it, you know, in Westport, and it's enormously different than being in like Vernon County or Morgan County or something, right? Yeah. Well, but neither place in the state of Missouri has the ability to really impose that much of its will on the other place. True. Um, in Oregon, however, that's that's different, and. It does get potentially nasty. To me, it does boil down to that whole contempt thing. But, like, they have a map on that article, by the way, if you look it up. And it is interesting because it would have Idaho's uh, eastern border being basically the same. But the western border, according to what greater Idaho thinks, would align itself so that it would go and take up almost all of Oregon outside of the area around Portland and, and a little bit down the highway there. It even goes all the way to the coast uh, and to the top of California. Yeah, it takes up several of the eastern counties of California. That's the idea of greater Idaho. But <coughs> the thing is, though, this map is actually appropriate to the political voting patterns. And that that 
that senator uh, in their, or their member of their legislature in Oregon, he's not wrong. And I mean, this is going to continue for the same so, reason. So you looked up how hard this process would be. Oh, yeah. And the, so what it would have involved is you'd have to have the people within the state that is going to get its counties lost and the state that's going to gain them both agree it's a good idea and the Congress would have to agree to the change. And it's happened before, but not it, it happened in times that were less divided, and it tended to be like a fraction of a county or a county or something of this nature. As opposed to like half a state. Right. Like this, so, by, geographically, Idaho, I think, would, would not pick up very much in actual population, but it would pick up a massive amount of... Territory. Yeah. Whereas Oregon would keep the vast majority of its actual population. I wish this map had the... Uh... Like, the line so you could see where it was and where it would be. You know what I mean? That'd be... Well, I mean, I can kind of see it because the the... Well, you can't see this here, but basically, you just simply take these, that, that chunk of Oregon and it's, it's out. And the truth is, not too long afterwards, um, Eastern Washington would want to join it as well. I could see that. But uh, here's the thing, though, about it. I think it's natural. I think it's... Probably a good idea. And frankly, with Oregon, they actually have a better chance of this, you know, secession construct actually working than I think Virginia does. So you think? So you think Oregon might actually go for it? Like the Oregon legislature? Here's the here's the critical element you have to keep in mind. Okay. The only reason you could ever have, and keep in mind, this is something that is not. Oh, it's going to happen tomorrow, because that's not how this works. It would take a while, but. The case you would have to make to people who are politically on the left in a place like Portland, where you do have actual communists who are sitting there uh, in the key. It isn't hard to get a state like Idaho or, or to get the Republican state to agree to increase its territory and get people. Yeah. That's not, that's not the problem. The problem is Oregon. Yeah. How do you get them to agree to it when it's democratically owned? Mm. Well, the Republicans there don't have the power to change anything, but they do have the power to put the brakes onto things that people in Portland want to do. So you're saying that the way Oregon Republicans could push it is, hey, you guys will have free reign to do whatever you want to without us stopping it, even in the tiniest bit. You'll have your dreams come true if you just let us leave. Yes. Now, the question is, is because this is national level, it goes all the way up to the national level, mm -hmm. is will the Democratic Party be okay with that? The only thing I could see about that is whether or not they lose seats in the House. If they lose seats in the House because of potential population changes, then they could be against it. But if, if that doesn't change, I could see them well, not really necessarily caring. If you look at the legislatural map, okay... Of Oregon, which I'm going to pull that up. Oregon Congressional Districts. Uh, okay. Google's so good at knowing what we're doing. Thank you I, for listening at all times, Google. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so we have, we have this here, right? Oregon's Congressional Districts. So there's a massive congressional district in the east bordering Idaho. And then there's another one. Uh, it's Congressional District 2. Then you have Congressional District 4. So we're going to look up Oregon, Oregon Congressional 
District 4. Okay. So, this right here, when you look at it, is showing that uh, right now it looks like uh, it's ran by a Democrat. Whoa, let's see here. Hmm. Interesting. Peter DeFazio? DeFazio? Yeah. U.S. Representative for Oregon's 4th Congressional District. Serving since 1987. Okay, so that's four against the coast. Yeah, so we need two. So we need two. Oregon's 2nd Congressional District. So... Where were you on that one now, Google? That's what I thought. Well, filibuster for me. So, anyway, so we know that the fourth one might not change. Uh, if the second one doesn't change either, then it's really not going to change much as far as the electoral representation goes. Oh, oh, look at the recent presidential elections here, like Trump, 57 to 36. It went Trump, Romney, McCain, yeah. Bush, Bush, so... Yeah, it's basically solid Republican territory. Their current guy, Greg Walden... Uh, yeah, he's Republican, Republican Party. Yeah, which means he would just be the Republican Party for Greater Idaho's, you know, Western District. So here's what I noticed that was interesting. Right, this is what I found very, very interesting here. Mm -hmm. So okay, so there's five districts. We know that two, which is all those eastern counties, yeah. is solidly Republican. Yeah. Okay, and then four, four says it's a Democrat. It's DeFazio, right? Yeah, but this area has Eugene, Oregon, as well as Springfield, and you have the coastal, right? But the other thing was, when we looked up representation, it, he only won with like 56% of the vote. Right. Well, the thing I'm thinking is this. If you wrote that, you could take the counties of Douglas, Coos, Curry, and Josephine, which I'm pretty sure vote very similar to District 2, yeah. and just give simply Idaho a, a little window out into the ocean. Thing is this, though. There's a very good possibility that when you're negotiating this thing, you wouldn't get what you want, and it would still be landlocked. But who cares, right? As you said, the real question is, is would you alter the... Um, you know, would would you effectively alter um, the voting dynamics? Which you really wouldn't. You'd Not still have no. the same amount of Democrats. You still have the same amount of Republicans. They would just identify with another state. Which, going back to the transgender things, maybe those Oregonians <laughs> identify as Idaho people. Okay. Like, I mean, really? That's a lot more sane than transgender. They're, though, so. they're, they're trans Idahoans. Right. I, Idahoans. Idaho. Idaho, you'd hope no. Um, I need to. I need to stop. Uh, okay, let's see here. I think we've gone on too long. Uh, we got the Nevada caucus. All right, so we already have the caucus results. Uh, Bernie Sanders won huge. So we'll just we'll go through these numbers real quick. Bernie Sanders, forty six percent. Joe Biden, nineteen point six. Pete Buttigieg, fifteen point three. Elizabeth Warren, ten point one. Amy Klobuchar, 4.8. Tom Steyer, 4.1. And Tulsi Gabbard, who's still apparently in it, uh, 0.1. Uh, they even actually had somebody vote for Andrew Yang and Michael Bennett, uh, both who have been out for, like, a couple weeks now, yeah. I think. Uh, but regardless, like, all right, so Tulsi Gabbard, I, I, you don't have a window forward. You're not even really making any headway in your own party. 
Tom Steyer, you're just wasting money. Bloomberg's just going to outspend you. We get it, you're a billionaire, that's fine. There's, there's obviously several of those in the Democrat Party. <laughs> you're fine. Uh, and there again, Amy Klobuchar, if she's making her way to try to get a State Department job, you know, Secretary of Interior, whatever, I, I get it, but she really doesn't have anything forward either. I mean, these aren't really surprising numbers. The The biggest thing I noticed was the fact that Bernie Sanders had the same amount as basically the top three other people, which is huge. But you got to think Nevada is a big union state. Um, there's a lot of other things with Nevada. Plus, uh, it's the first state with any uh, minorities, well, so to speak. Well, that like, actually tells us that Bernie Sanders... Okay, so here's the thing, right? There's two ways of looking at that. Two ways, right? Way one is this, mm -hmm. and I'd love to know the numbers on Hispanic participation in the primary. Also, Nevada is, okay, so like, we live in Missouri, right? As, as I angrily pointed out in episode one. But, so angry. But no, if like, you're not from Missouri, you can F off. Yeah, like, no, but, we're not. Down. It's actually a friendlier state than that, but you know, I was high. Unless you're from Kansas. Yeah, um, well. <laughs> no, okay, so like, the question I ask is, and you probably know this better than I do, is it like here where they have an open primary and where they make these decisions based upon, uh, based upon like what happens in that open primary, or is Nevada a state where you have people go to a place and they have multiple horse races, and you're you know, yays and nays in a in a well, room somewhere? So so Nevada's a caucus, okay. kind of like Iowa, and so the first round of voting. If you don't get 15% of the vote, your people don't count. We, we'll, we'll mark it down that you cared about that person, but we really don't care. You don't, you don't matter. And then they do uh, a debate section. And so, like, people from Bernie Sanders will be like, Hey, you warned people. You guys didn't get the 15%. You should come over here. We're awesome over here. Yay, go us. You know? And they do this whole back and forth. And then they do a second round of voting. And it's only those candidates that got more than 15% just vote on them. So your people like your Tom Steyer people could have moved to Biden or Buttigieg or whoever they want. And and that's what makes the final determination is is who's in that last vote. And so it's, it's really much different than a primary because a primary is just another election. You vote for who you want. You know, game over, person with the most votes wins. Simple, easy, uh, apparently they might be able to count that, who knows. But we know they have problems counting in Iowa. Now, right. <clears throat> what I love about the Nevada caucus, so in Iowa, if there was a tie, they did a coin flip. So if two people got the same amount of votes at the top, they did a coin flip for the delegates. Which is hilarious, it's fair, I mean you can't really, whoop, flip a coin, there you go. Sorry Bob, you lose, it was tails. Like, but, you know, whatever. That's at least legitimately fair. Nevada, also I would say fair, but it's a little bit different. So every single uh, site had a deck of cards that was sealed. And they even had instructions. Like, it's like 13 instructions on how to, how to initiate this. So they had to shuffle at least seven times. At least seven. Okay. Okay, you could shuffle as much as you want, but at least seven times. And then each one... 
uh, a representative for each each camp winning draws a card. And then it's kind of like war. High card wins. Okay. Uh, if it was a tie, they had a, a system for which one won based on suit. So it was, uh, I think, spades, hearts, diamonds, clubs. Okay. So, you know, your spades was your top one and your clubs was your bottom and all that kind of stuff. So if you tied, they knew how to even solve that. But it's just like, this is 2020. And, and we're deciding who could potentially be the next president. Because if the Democrat won the, the nomination, they could potentially win the presidency. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, fingers crossed, you know, the, the Republicans win this one. But regardless, like, you're potentially picking the leader of the free world based on coin flips and high card. Like, that's a scary prospect if you actually break it down like that. Well, it is, and frankly, I think that, you know, I, I think we discussed earlier, you know, I like the idea of, like, trying to use a party list like they would in Europe for this sort of thing if you're, if you're going to try to do that, right? But, that being said, uh, not for anything in the actual government itself, but for your party nomination, party list with, like, different point scores depending on who you're, who's your favorite yeah, who's your favorite through. candidate? Who's your second favorite candidate? Like, you get to, in that system, you get to put them in a list. Like, hey, this guy's my number one choice, but I'd be okay with this guy. And, eh, this one, not so much, but this guy, screw this guy at the bottom here. You know, like, right. and then you find out enough people that go, okay, I like him, and he's okay. Like, he gets enough points that he, or she, I guess in this case, don't want yeah. to be discriminatory. Uh you know, wins it that way. And that seems like a, a, a much more fair system. However, they have had a hard enough time figuring this stuff out, just counting. Well, yeah. And so I really wonder if we should try to make it more complicated on them. Well, also keep in mind that we are, we are discussing this as if this is actually a fair process, like, invented to be. Which, I mean, I kind of question whether it is, but that's beside the point. To me, the critical element to notice in all of this is, okay, it is the first state that has a significant... The, the, in fact, I'm not entirely certain that the Democratic Party in Nevada uh, has any solid racial majority. I don't think it does. But the question with this is, who showed up? So Sanders is thought to be basically the concept, or like the uh, the the... The favored candidate of white liberals, basically, okay, of swipples, okay, like stuff white people like, you know, people going to like, I don't know, like, like microbreweries and then, Dude, you know, microbreweries are good, though. Getting you ever been to one? I, I... They are fantastic. You know, I don't actually drink beer. Some of it's not bad. I, it, I'm not talking about like your, your typical, like... Bud Light, those kind of things. Whatever. Well, I mean, I've like, drinking beer before. The Boulevard. Some, yeah. some of the Boulevards are good. I love well, Sam Adams. I'm not, I'm, not even, I'm not even talking about people who honestly... I'm talking about people who go there to signal. Oh, you mean like, I'm drinking this micro-brew. Right, I'm drinking this micro-brew because it's great. Or people who are like, I'm working class, even though they're not. And so they're like, I'm going to drink PBR. No, working class people don't, don't go to micro-breweries. They're not going to pay... Twelve dollars for a glass of shit beer. I don't. I'm just saying. Like, okay, there's a there's a paradigm. There's a person where you see them. You know, that's supposed to be who is the Bernie Sanders person, right? Are you talking about those people that go to like Starbucks 
and are typing on their thing, their next playwright, their next screen or, screenplay or whatever. Unless they live in a big enough town that they can go to a non-corporate coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. <laughs> but no, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying, right? Like, the question is, is who showed up and made this happen? In, in there. Because here's the thing. Here's the other thing. This is, could be the cynical ploy. What if the primary is going to be determined by white folks in the Democratic Party? What if, yes, they may have loved for people of color to show up, and they just didn't really want to? And so, yeah, in the general, they'll vote for whoever comes up, but they're not concerned with the primary, especially in a caucus state where they're going to have to go and do a thing for, you know, however all afternoons. They're like, screw it. And so what if, what if in all of that, that means that Bernie Sanders has a way in to the, to win this whole thing for the Democrats simply because he can get those snobby white people to show up and vote for, I mean, like, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. That's going to piss him off though. Cause for some reason the Democrat party just hates Bernie. Well, like, the, the Democrat, some elite, reason the Democrat Elites, I should say, like the the party people. We okay. We were we were talking about this earlier on on Bernie. Okay, and this will segue to what we're going to talk about finally. But um, here's the thing: Bloomberg wasn't in this one, sure. and to me, Bloomberg being in early enough to be in Nevada would have been important to know where he was going to land, but. Ultimately, the real hatred that exists for Bernie Sanders is because he's not neoliberal, mm-hmm. as discussed prior. Bernie Sanders, his socialist policies, communist policies, etc., we can we have whatever criticisms we want of them, but what we can't say of them is that they are not... That Bernie Sanders is not a candidate of uh, free trade around the world with relatively low taxes and, um, you know, and... I don't know, butt plugs for all or something, right? Like, that's not who Bernie Sanders... I am Sanders... totally against Bernie now. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, Bernie Sanders, you may disagree with him, but he, he is a he's a different candidate. He's a different sure. guy. I'll, I'll give you that one. Uh, what's crazy is that uh, we have another debate next week and South Carolina next week, uh, next Saturday, uh, and Bloomberg is not on that ballot either. He won't be on a ballot until Super Tuesday, which is the following Tuesday after Which means South that Bloomberg Carolina. is playing runner-runner, and he's, doing, he's desperately trying to catch up. My thing that I have is that if Bloomberg doesn't win this, he's probably going to be like, I should have gotten in on this earlier. And I'm going to be like, mm, I don't know that that's what it was, but he's probably going to go away leaving that. Um, let's see here. But this leads to the final thing. Uh, play, play the music. We have music. Oh, oh yes. Ah, doesn't it just warm your heart? Keeps keeps you feeling good, right? Strong. I mean, I suppose <laughs> if I've been drinking the blood of Kulaks, but um Hey, just some vodka. Yeah. <laughs> no good uh, shitty Russian vodka. <laughs> We're going with, uh, so, okay, so, interesting thing, right? 
And we know we were looking at the prior thing, right? So there's an article from the Washington Post. Wow. Ber- oh. Bernie Sanders briefed by U.S. officials that Russia is trying to help his presidential campaign dated February 21st, 2020 at 3.16 p.m. I knew it. Those commies are trying to help the other commie. Knew it. So earlier that day, it says Russia is looking to help Trump win in 2020, election security official told lawmakers uh, by Acosta, Cohen, Bash, and Herb. Bash and Herb, it just, I don't know. At any rate, though, um, (laughs) updated 8.30 a.m. on the same day, February 21st. I knew it. Trump is in collusion with Russia. That proves it. Wait. Wait, what? So, okay, here's the thing, right? And I realize, like, the Bernie Sanders one is different because it's U.S. officials. So that yeah. assumes members of the intelligence community yeah. versus Russia's looking to help trend 2020 election security officials. So I don't know exactly who's with what. <clears throat> but you think there's any believability to this? I would say there's believability to both. And the reason why I say that is it makes sense for the Russians to interfere in our elections. As much as they can and get away with it, they're going to. And and let's be honest, we've interfered in elections in other places too. We've interfered in their elections. (laughs) And so, first off, the idea of them trying to do it to us, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Them trying to help Bernie makes sense because Bernie has similar policies. Them trying to help Trump makes sense because then it keeps the chaos going of Trump collusion and oh my gosh is is Putin and Trump you know is Trump Putin's puppet and all that kind of stuff and so I don't really see them as necessarily wanting to play a side as opposed to playing both sides just to watch what happens I'm gonna counter signal you just a bit we keep on making these jokes about uh, we keep on making these jokes um you know, about the Russians as if they are still Soviet, and they are not. Yeah, but Putin... No, no, Putin... He was KGB. But was he ever really a... What I mean by that is, is, okay, so I'm talking about ideology. I think that Putin was always just simply a Russian nationalist, and to him, the economic system you're using is secondary or tertiary to the good of Mother Russia. Um, here, here's the thing, right? In the modern world, I ask, why is it? Like, this is one of the critical questions um, that nobody's really discussing. Everybody just went into this without asking any serious questions as to how this happened. But we went from a case where people who are politically on the left in America mm-hmm. were seeking out detente mm-hmm. with the Soviets and where they normally often had something positive to say and a concern for the Soviet people. It was like, well, you guys are too far to the left, and your economics don't work, but you're good people, versus so many people on the right who wanted to raise Soviet Union to the ground. Yeah. And now it's totally flipped. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, I can't say it's totally flipped in terms of all of that. There's still a ton of people on the Republican side who still have the same hate for Russia. Better dead than red. Well, but the, the question I ask is why? What happened when Russia stopped being communist? And they have. They're not communist. They have lower tax rates than we do. They have lower, easier business laws than we do. They 
have a society that has re-asked the Russian Orthodox Church to effectively, like, become a part of their society again, whereas, you know, I don't know, like, what do we have religiously? I mean, other than, other than people talking about now taking tax status from churches. So I'm kind of like, Russia changed. It's not what it was after they split apart. Why the hatred towards Russia now? Well, it, you might have some holdovers from the old system that still have power. Maybe it's those people that are in charge of key areas that could be doing these things. Um, maybe, uh, in their mind, a stronger Russia can be gained through a weaker United States. And so it might be more from a nationalistic standpoint as opposed to a communist standpoint because a nationalist wants to identify their country as the greatest country on earth. Like, they want... They want to be number one. Well, if you're not number one, one of the ways you can be number one is to take down the number one. I don't... Okay, I think first of all, you ran into a problem as to what a nationalist is. Wow. Nationalist doesn't actually want to necessarily be number one. The question is, how do you even define it? It's just well, that yeah. a nationalist puts the interest of their nation above the interest of other nations and, right. and other, other things, right? That's the number one imperative, but... Here's the thing, right? Here's a belief that I hold, or at least the, the theory I work from. I think that Russia has no specific plan to help any given U.S. politician. I think that this comes down to Russian assessments of how the world works. And if you look at what happened in their country and how it split apart from being the Soviet Union to becoming now the Russian Federation and 16 other countries, mm -hmm. I think that explains their thing. Their, their country broke apart across ethnic lines. Not really religious lines, that was part of it, but it's difficult to tell where those begin and end. Mm -hmm. um, their country broke apart across those lines. I think they see stress fractures in the United States and that the same can happen to us. Mm-hmm. And so you think that they're trying to just push that to happen. What happened to them to happen to us to make it, what would be the reasoning behind that then? Um, what happened after the Soviet Union was gone? Mm, it depends on which country. No, no, no. I okay. Mean, when I say the Soviet Union imploded into nothing, right? Yeah. What happened with us? What did we do? We Not, in the West, I mean, right? Like, we, yeah, we just we, we did we get rid of NATO, even though it was set up to no, stay of course against, not. We didn't get rid of NATO. We expanded it, right? Yeah, right up to Russians' borders. Uh, right? Yeah, all the way, all the way, as much as we can. <laughs> okay. Um, afterwards, when Russia was having problems, we brought in advisors to that country that advised that they basically privatize all of the companies, mm -hmm. and then turn them into a public stock option, like, you know, mm -hmm. blah, 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 and distribute those shares to everybody. And after this happened, these people who had no idea of capitalism at all, in order to buy bread, sold their shares that they owned in what would have been some of the most massive companies on earth. Um, these people proceeded to sell those companies or, or sell their shares to what we now call the oligarchs. Mm -hmm. the, the truth is, Russia had these problems, we exacerbated them, we kept NATO around, 
and we brought it right up to their border. The Russians want us gone so that they can have not world dominance. They don't care about that. That isn't what they're about in this post-Cold War time period. They just want regional hegemony, or at least a, re a shot at playing in the regional game. Okay, If we're not behind NATO, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden Russia gets a chance at attempting to play games. And they they were doing this earlier with Crimea. And the question becomes, too, in an America where we're not trying to play some sort of overarching world game, like geopolitically, what, what do we care? Like, you're talking to a guy who, honestly, I sort of have a Monroe Doctrine thing to this day. I don't particularly care what happens in the Eastern yeah, Hemisphere of this world. You're not really an interventionist. I'm like the opposite of, well, yeah. like... Russia invaded Crimea today. What are you going to do? I don't know. I might play Scrabble. Like, <laughs> like there would be this thing. People would be... So, so you think that it comes more from them wanting to potentially weaken our status and NATO's status so they can just be more regional power players? Well, I think that, like, there's this idea that they want to take over, blah, 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 and do this. I'm like, no, Russia... So look... Putin is effectively a politician from 1895. What I mean by that is, is that he wishes to have Russia have what you can consider to be uh, important strategic places, okay, and exert control in certain places they need to be and ultimately um, empower Russia as a country, okay, and make it so that it independently has power. So you're saying that Putin mostly just wants an independent Russia free from any kind of U.S. influence? Uh, basically. And, like, I don't actually think that he's the evil guy that everybody says he is. He's a different sort of evil guy, but... <laughs> like, what I'm saying is this, right? You mean, like, how his, his last political rival just disappeared... Well, what, what, I, what I'm saying is this, right? There's people who act like, like, like Putin is like basically a Bond villain. <laughs> I don't, I don't really see that, but I, I, I know those people that you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. So the people who are acting like he's basically a Bond villain, and are like, look at this evil guy. First of all, they don't even ask why they're they're told that, which they've been told this by major media, but. Pat, more importantly than them not asking why it is they've been told this by, by these folks, is, well, what about all the other evil people? What makes Putin so much worse than, I don't know, any of the dictators of Africa, virtually everyone in the Middle East, etc., etc.? So what why makes, are... What, what makes him worse than uh, North Korea's leader? Or China's leader. I would say or... that I would say North Korea's leader is infinitely worse than Putin. But and you could say, well, nothing makes them worse. Well, I'm like, well, then why are you pressing so hard against him and not against everybody? Yeah. Why is he so much worse? And so it's not so much that he cares about us. He just wants us out of his business. So by messing with our business, maybe we'll maybe... leave him alone. I could see that. To do what he wants. But I'm sort of like, look, I look at this in a long view of politics of hundreds of years, thousands of years potentially. And when you look at it in those terms, having some shady Eastern European dictator like 
guy come along and do bad things, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's happened a lot. So, like, we in America should just not concern ourselves with that. Unless it's, uh, unless it's directly affecting us, we really should be like, well, that's kind of your problem, guys. It's kind of like, I will tell you this, like, a while back they were messing around in Venezuela, right? Yeah. I would have told them, yeah, you guys can have Crimea. We won't do anything to you. But I swear, if you come back to Venezuela, you have no idea what's coming at you. And you start playing these games. Of, I mean, this is just kind of how it used to you work. You have your hemisphere, we have ours. You guys do what you want. Good fences make good neighbors. Like Yeah. But th- this is the thing, right? I look at this, the real reason why you see this whole thing is that, above all else, Trump, uh, what I can say is this. The reason why... They're saying that Bernie Sanders uh, is being assisted by them and why, oh, Trump, yeah, he's definitely being assisted by Reason why this is being said, the real reason why the hatred of Putin is because Putin is against neoliberalism. So he is, you, you, uh, there's speeches, I can pull it up for next episode, that he is given that basically are... Populist and against the neoliberal world order. Well, that would make sense then why CNN and WAPO would be the ones reporting these kind of things. Not because they're, because they're on that liberal side of things as opposed to... You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I, I will pull up the stuff for next time around. But suffice it to say, I don't buy the story. I don't think that Putin is specifically helping out any given candidate. I think the Russian FSB simply wants a general level of instability within America. And here's the thing. They didn't create that political instability. It's existed before they ever got here. They're just trying to play on it. Well, see, and I I would agree with that. I don't think that the Russians are trying to help any specific candidate. I think they're mostly just trying to, uh, they again, cause those fractures. And even, even still, imagine the doubt amongst people if they think that their votes don't matter because of potential interference in election. You know, whoever wins, the other one can go... Well, he only won because of this kind of interference. And that just fractures the country. So, yeah. All right. Well, well, thank you all for listening. Uh, remember to rate, like, subscribe, share, all that fun stuff. Uh, and we'll be back next week. All right. M&S Politics. We're out.